Hi, welcome to Side Quest Completed, the indie dev hobbyist podcast. Uh, this is Calvin and JC. So you say your name. I say and, my uh, name. We're going to talk about say my name. Yes. And we're going to talk <laughs> about uh, doing game dev as a hobby um, on the side of normal work. Uh, this is episode three, and um, we're going to start with uh, just a recap of what we worked on the last week. So uh, JC, what have you been working on? Yep. So I actually wrote more for Anthrotari. So yay! Yay! It wasn't as many words as I was hoping, in part because I overestimated how much writing, how much progress I would make in a given time frame for a visual novel versus a regular novel. Mm-hmm. Since this visual novel, in this case, a lot more dialogue and not nearly as much descriptive prose, which can be a surprisingly large amount of writing when it comes to like a novel format or long form. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm a little tired. Long work day. Um, you can cut that. Well, the dialogue uh, takes longer because you got all those quotation marks to put in. Yeah. Also, I have the actual actions they perform. Like, I write in show character happy or show character sad, show character at nodding, so forth. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I'm not counting that as well. Like, just the actual new words of the story. So, uh, a little bit more slowly. Also, it was less focused than I was helping. I think in part because I was still recuperating from the old job and didn't set up enough of a guess, hard schedule for myself. The good news is it was still, uh, let's see, at least, I think, close to three, either 2,800 or actually 3,000 or so words. So, yay, pretty good number. So, still plenty of progress. And this is all for a new character, someone that an actual Patreon sponsor went for that level, the get a character of your creation in the game level. And I finally started on that route. Yeah, that's interesting since it's based off someone like their persona and I've already tried to with at length before the sponsorship. And that's uh, interesting writing with that in mind. Hmm. So as far as like tracking the progress of writing, do you have like an overall word count target for the whole project? You know, as a, as a the holes that you can put this into perspective with. Yeah, so I actually did that just last week because I realized I had a bunch of words and no like specific target in mind. And did one thing I had to we talked about before, like avoiding burnout and visible scope. I had to set a word count, not just goal but limit. Aspire for that many words, but also call it done in need of being edited down or exceed a certain word limit. And that was going to be 40,000 words as a guesstimate. I looked at uh, We Know the Devil as an example. I think that was like 20,000 words, or correctly, something in that range. Or maybe like 18,000, something like that. I could be way off. I also looked at Christine Love's, uh, what was it? It was called uh, Her More Recent Visual Novel. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't remember the the first word either. Um, isn't that yeah. like a hundred thousand words? Uh, Eighty thousand, approximately. Okay. If I was seeing my sources correctly, and so I have something in that middleish range seemed right. Since we know that, well, since we're already at twenty five hundred twenty five thousand words now, so overshot one area. I don't need more words for this. Another really good thing I did was read up on four act structure which is surprisingly common in screenplays. And I hear about it periodically in one source or another. 
And as much as, well, it's called a visual novel, writing for it is much more like a screenplay than an actual novel. So any resources on that are great. I didn't even look that closely at four act structure, but interestingly enough, just going over the line items, the basic summary of the four acts really kicked off uh, a connection for me I've been missing, like a common thread, a unifying thing I could use. <sighs> oh, so I'm really low in oxygen today. A, a thread I could use to actually tie together the different characters and approach something like a final arc, closure, and epilogue. So that was just reviewing itself was great. So you, you said a few times you've mentioned how this is different from like writing a normal visual novel that you're writing more script wise. And it's wondering, like, do you have, have you done a lot of writing in the past, either like scripts or just regular literature that you can compare this to? Or is this like itself your largest single or first writing project like this? Yeah. Well, I did Script Frenzy, which is like NaNoWriMo, but for screenplays once uh, successfully. That was ages ago. It was an interesting little script. And but I also have done NaNoWriMo seven times successfully, I might add, and then turned one of those in yeah, yeah, and then turned one of those into a lot. Sorry, (laughs) I was gonna say, and then I turned one of those into a uh, full length piece of over a hundred thousand words, another full on novel project. So it's definitely one of my prose wise shorter, less long pieces, shorter pieces, but it's a more intricate piece. Since there's all of the programming involved with that, it can't just read write, it has to actually work. So debugging and all that and adding animation and everything. So it's definitely been my most ambitious creative project to date. Sounds yeah. like it. So that that's interesting. I, I wonder how much the um, experience of other writing forms helps or hinders because of the difference in how this has to be approached. I mean, I'm sure that it helps. I'm sure it's a bit of both. Like there has to be ways where the things you're used to and the structures and linearity that you're used to don't work out in this structure. And maybe that background actually throws you off of it. Is that ever happened? In, this, in my context, at least, I would say both experiences have been invaluable because the funny thing about visual novel is we often get a mixture of both writing styles because you'll usually have the dialogue like you would have in a screenplay and simple action direction, either behind the scenes or up front. And you have much more prose-like writing for long descriptions, for the like internal monologues, whatnot, and other things that read much more novel-like. So really, I think it's much better result for having both. Though... I should clarify that a lot of this writing has also been by people I hired. So they get a lot of credit for that. The names in the credits. But a mixture of A and B. I would definitely say that anyone wanting to do a visual novel would want to read up both on novel writing or really short story writing would be more applicable. Novel and short story writing and screenplay writing. And just borrow from both because it's really hot, very much a combined thing. Well, since you had a pretty productive week, I, I hope that that yeah. was, I'm sure that the time off helped. I hope that you can continue to get that kind of productivity, um, you know, without having to have no time or, you know, no work time. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. It seems like this yeah, show is keeping me. Of... 
<laughs> you want momentum to have started is what I was trying to, yeah. to get to. Like, hopefully that will keep going. You'll roll this into being energized the next week, even though you're back to regular work too. Right. I can do like five, six Pomodoros, multiple hours at a stretch each day, like I could for that short stint. But I can do like one Pomodoro a day, one 25, 30-minute session, ideally early in the morning before work, and that will add up really quickly. Yeah, because it's like kind of to have a little daily habit gets the inertia. It's because it's much easier to like even if I skip a day or miss a day, that's still the rest of the week's progress to build on, and I can double up easy. I can do one extra half hour session the next day. Um, but if I'm doing only like on the weekends, then missing a weekend means a two week gap in work, and doubling up on it the weekend might be my entire weekend. Yeah, those sort of um, infrequent times, that, that is a downside, a big downside for me that I've had is uh, you miss it, you miss a huge range. You're not missing, you're not just missing that day if you're only working on the weekends. You're missing, mm-hmm. you, you have so much time in between then, and that's a problem. Um, exactly. Yeah, that's one reason I've tried not to just work on weekends because uh, keeping the momentum going is it's tough. Not that it's easy to figure out how to fit that in during the weekdays, but there's problems on every side and every option. Well, yeah. I know things Jerry Seinfeld, comedian, is well known for his don't break the chain method of productivity. I think he has a calendar up on his wall where he marks off every day he's done his writing, joke writing work, and makes yeah, sure I- to not break that chain. I hate Jerry Seinfeld, but I love his calendar. And that was actually a big inspiration for me early on in my freelancing days for um, being productive. And I would keep various forms of that calendar um, over the years. I still do similar things. Oh, yeah. I've done similar things. Uh, Definitely helped on NaNoWriMo's. So I recommend anyone who hasn't tried it already to try it. And even to try it again if you haven't tried it before. Yeah, but that's enough about me. Calvin, how was well, your week? What you been up to? I am going. I'm going to make my update quick, and I'm going to um, use this opportunity to express how I hope this show can also be an honest place. I got Ooh. nothing done. No. Oh well. So you know, the honesty I, I is appreciated. This, I want to use this to you know move up me to keep on board and to um, you know kind of keep me uh, honest with getting work done but i'm also i can't do that if i'm not honest about the times whenever i don't so i had a little bit of a rough week and i also was trying to finish up some stuff before vacation and i knew i had this week coming up where i've got lots of extra time oh yeah so in in all of that i i did not get anything done Uh, but i have some a lot of time this week that i can uh catch up and i'm going to make use of that and i still got the rest of this week and weekend um to get into that and i'm gonna get that drawing done and i'm gonna get a third uh mini game done this week but i haven't done anything nice. since the last episode yeah now the one thing i do recommend is uh reframing it to avoid thinking of catching up well, it's going to be that much to catch up on and focus very much on just doing that week's work and that should be much less scary and hopefully minimize procrastination because oftentimes our procrastination, yeah. 
oftentimes our procrastination comes from anxiety about how much we have on the plate and how much there is to do. Our brain just sees a whole bunch of work to do and goes, nope, turns off. But biting it down to manageable chunks, keeping it down to work that we know we can do, and then maybe stretching a little bit more if we finish fast, will probably help a lot to do a little bit of an end run around the procrastination. Well, I actually recognized that myself partway through the yeah. week. And one thing I did do is went onto my Trello board where I've got all my different cards to organize the game. And I took all the due dates off everything that mm. had been due in that week that I wasn't getting done. And so they're still on the top of their list and they're still prioritized, but they don't have a date that I have to feel bad about having been passed. So right. yeah, that, 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 that way through this week, when I go in to look at that, I'm not getting that negative feeling every time I look at, Oh yeah, I'm working on something I was supposed to do less. I'm just still working on the things I need to do next, which is important no matter when yeah. you get done. Exactly. Cause that's all about how you make it sustainable, especially when, since we work full-time and other stuff, even small bumps in our availability can have really big impacts on our ability to do other work outside of our day jobs. Yep. Cool. All right. So I guess we can pop on to what we've been playing and reading whatnot. So how about, want to start with you again? Or... Sure. So, uh, let's see. I'm still working through. Uh, I still have been t- on my hiatus away from Overwatch. Um, I've left my Discord groups of uh, teams I was playing with, so I'm even more distant from it now. Um, putting my time into more Horizon Zero Dawn, playing some uh, Enter the Gungeon, and um, I bought those five under a dollar games on Steam that I was talking Ooh. about last time, and I'm going to be playing those uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow morning. Um, nice. On my little project of playing cheap games that still cost something, so I'm giving something to the developer. And yeah. the idea being just sort of exploring that space of games. Yeah, I remember um, if you actually start selling the uh, game you make, you can totally count as purchases as expenses. Yes. Yes. Well, part of the idea of that project, uh, what, what I kind of want to do is like make this little YouTube channel. Pra- I think I said this last week, where I want to like practice. What does it just take to get a YouTube channel and like just kind of manage it to get any tiny audience, even if it's very tiny? It just gives me some practice of like what actually goes into that. Yeah. Because then I can roll that into th- using those skills for promotion, which is something that I hope yeah. I actually need at some future time. Yeah, that's why it's so important to, just like with the game projects, small ones give you skills to apply to bigger ones and much better to know it, have a handle on it in a comfortable space before you have a big audience than wish you knew how to do it yourself in the face of some sudden success. It's like so many people that would look like overnight successes were night after night, not yet successes or night after night failures until something happened and all the preparation met with opportunity and kaboom. Yeah. I, I want to figure out how to continue working on my larger project and also keep failing on the side so that I can practice the, all the parts around finish outside of working on the game itself. Because if I just continue down this big project and I finish it and then I can't do anything with it, that's going to be, that sucks. Like I don't expect to be be heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I wanted to go. I wanted to get something. I want something yeah. at the end of that tunnel, 
And that's not going to happen if I don't learn those skills, which I can only learn by shorter projects, which is a kind of difficult balance because I want to do this bigger thing and it's going to be worthless, you know, as far, in terms of the result, if nobody sees it, nobody plays it. And I can only change that by doing these smaller things, which means I don't have the time to put into the larger thing. Yeah. Um, it's, a pain, it's a hard balance. It reminds me of how, when we were first promoting, my girlfriend and I were first promoting Anthrotari, we were able to do it at very like, uh, game-focused events that offered free spaces and learn how to promote in the convention context uh, with minimal expense to get a feel for what worked, what didn't work, what worked in the game that made it more demoable, what we had to change to make it more demoable, so forth, before spending too much money on promotional material or other conventions or whatnot. Yeah, so so much of it comes back to trying things out beforehand. And getting yeah. A, you need, yeah, while you sometimes you need to jump in the deep end, it, ideally you'll have learned to doggy paddle in the shallow end first. I, I do have a, a potential strategy for this with this. Um, since I, as I've described a few times, my current project involves a lot of mini games within the larger game. And the way that I'm orchestrating them is such that I could split them out. They could all be played on their own. And so I can spin those out as mobile games, which I promote on the side as I'm developing the larger game. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be able to practice just the general practicing of marketing and also building up, you know, some followers on itch or on my play store account, etc. So. Yeah. And who knows? One of those mini games might be like such a hit that you end up building into a full game. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them. So the the pool of ideas I'm drawing from is a combination of like semi clones or inspirations from old arcade games, and mm. the other half are simplified versions of game ideas I've had over the years. So if I never build the full version, at least I get to build that. And afterwards, I probably still will build the full version once I'm done with all this. But nice. I also think that, that. It, it might be a fun thing I could. Even aside from the practice, it also works itself into a what I think is kind of a fun um, promotional trick. Like, I'll put out all these this series of little like arcade games, and then at the end of that, boom! It was part of this bigger thing all along. And I, I hope <laughs> that actually, I hope that that looks clever to somebody and might actually play out well. So yeah, it actually we'll sounds clever to me. Yeah, especially if there's a common narrative thread, because then you have people hooked. They're like, I need the rest of the story. I need the rest of the story. Well, I can. I'll go ahead and, and fill in. Like, I keep trying to talk. I don't know why I talk about it vaguely. It's not like I'm gonna give out a lot by by talking. The 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 game is owning an arcade, Ooh. and trying to be the coolest kid in town because everybody loves to play at your arcade, and you're the best arcade player in town. So. Nice. It's like this. Not it's not an arcade sim or arcade management game, but that's an aspect of it. A, it's sort of like that's like the narrative. Yeah, um, which originally was just kind of like a sim thing, but you also play the games. And uh, it was kind of recently where I thought, wait, I can put a story in this, and now I love the idea. <laughs> and it's not just a thing to toss a bunch of small games at. So I'm kind of thinking of it like Stardew Valley with arcade games instead of fruit. That's that's pretty awesome, actually. I like that idea. Yeah, my yeah. my uh, 
you cultivate the game experience. Owned an arcade when before I was born. So I'm. It is actually. It's in your blood. It's inspired by my dad, and I'm like hoping to finish it and you know give him a copy because he's the one who got me into games. So it's like uh, it inadvertently became very personal, and I did not intend it to be. Yeah. No, lean hard into that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. I had, I'll give like some spoiler, potential spoiler for Anthro Atari. It was like the unifying thread I found out for Act Three could be based on stuff involving my mom in a like how our relationship is, ways I wish it was could be improved and whatnot, and various reflections therein. It'll definitely will be like larger than real life version of it, but definitely inspired by that in it. Resonating with me in a way, I suspect, being so personal, they're really thick with other people. So I think I strongly recommend you lean into that. My dad's arcade angle. Yeah, I, I haven't told him that I'm making a game loosely based on stories from his high school years. Uh, I have talked to him <laughs> about like, so what ca- what arcade games did you really like back in the day? I, I I have a reason to know what games you really liked, but I haven't told him why. I hope he doesn't. You just hope he doesn't notice you have your like, moleskin open taking furious notes. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, and, nice. and I don't think, thankfully, he, uh, let's say he's only recently gotten on Facebook like as of a month ago, so I don't think he will yet be able to find any evidence of the game I'm working on until I actually have it ready to, to share and show. So I'm hoping it can be a <laughs> Alright, fingers crossed. Nice. So uh, that's what you were playing. Uh... Anything else media-wise you want to bring up? Um, I've, I've been trying, honestly, I've been trying to catch up on all the Netflix shows that I haven't oh, yeah. been watching. So I finally got into watching Altered Carbon. Uh, my wife had mm. um, very quickly binged The Order, which just launched on Netflix a couple weeks ago. And she nice. like watched the whole thing in a day. So now I've watched pretty much the whole thing in two days. Um, and I'm about to finish it tomorrow. Uh, surprisingly engaging Ooh, nice so, yeah i would do well to like what rewatch some series i've enjoyed and watch some other stuff and see watch it for a narrative purpose and then the folks on the uh story shop podcast are big about deliberately watching shows watching it with deliberate attention to the craft of the work yeah hmm. So I guess for my take, um, of course I'm listening to Story Shop podcast regularly. Be catching up on Scared It's Scott to Universe podcast, the amazing writing excuses, which is definitely a direct inspiration for this podcast. Highly recommend it. What else for the podcast? Uh, one game, mobile game that I enjoyed so much I had to uninstall it twice. It's called Battle for Polytopia. I uh, love the aesthetic. It's a very strong distillation of the civilization game experience. Think about the first few hundred centuries, or first few hundred years of civilization, like one through four, but really, really concise. So a single simple tech tree, a very small number of units, some curious variety between the different fantasy races, or should say that's races, um, civilizations, and uh, stuff like that. And it's was totally worth getting the extra content. Um, it did a simple uh, in-app purchase of if you pay like a dollar 
to three dollars for new civilization to try it out and never felt cheated on that i was playing it enough that i had to just go ahead and just uninstall it because i was enjoying it too much it's taking up too much time but recommendation and of course playing more of baptiste on overwatch he's been interesting i know i get the strong feeling he's not overpowered because I've not had that hard of a time getting him in quick play. I remember when Moira came out, that was a lot of, I wish I could actually play the new character. Because he was definitely a little bit OP at the time. Well, but he's been was, interesting so far. She had a really low um, entry barrier. Uh, he's yeah. going to take time, I think, for people to really get the skill up on him where it'll start to show up more often. He'll be a slow burn, yeah. I think, as a new character. Yeah. Of course, he's I definitely that, more technical. I, I say that having quit for the time being right before he came out, but that's like just what I'm getting from from testing him out on the PTR before then. And I was almost exclusively Moira, like as soon as she came out, because it was really yeah. easy to pick her up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Baptiste is definitely more technical. It'll be interesting to see what the breakdown is like in your mini games. Like, are some people going to end up? flocking to the quote-unquote easy minigames, so they're going to end up flocking to the more complicated minigames. Could there be some sort of special, like, you get more arcade tickets for a certain kind of game thing going in there? I don't know. Something just to put in the back of your mind. But other than Overwatch rereading my own game, because I had to do that to write more of it, um, mm-hmm. just more manga, of course. Visit more stills at work, actually, just a couple hours ago. What else? A whole bunch of what's the one it's called Dimension W. I picked up like four more volumes. I picked up four more volumes of that. Trying to catch up on it. Tonight's going to be pretty chill. I know girlfriend and I love there are three different series, TV series we all watch. And conveniently enough, they're all available usually like Friday. And we end up watching like one a night with dinner. So it's Brooklyn Nine Nine. Glad to have that back. Oh, is that, is that Discovery? Back on? Yes. I, I actually binged uh, the entire series after it got canceled, and then it got picked back up oh, again. So yeah. I didn't. I, I never watched it when it was originally on the air, and uh, I got yeah, my attention to yeah. noise. Yeah, but I've been enjoying the new series, the new season. I think it's not available on Hulu. Um, and through somebody else. Um, so that one and Orville, which I've been consistently impressed by. Definitely one that feels like it did start as a there was a Star Trek parody, or it may have been played up a bit just to make it accessible. But it's definitely very much becoming its own series. I'm really impressed by it. I need to check it out. Yeah. I um, I do recommend it. I've been I've been on show. I still I still tend to rewatch all the Star Trek series on Netflix instead of watching any new space <laughs> shows. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, but my girlfriend and I did I, that with uh, Deep Space Nine recently in Voyager. I'm, so, I'm Voyager. on season six on Voyager right now for the fourth time. Oh uh, yeah. So the was it that one episode that gets lampooned for being possibly the worst one ever in Star Trek? The one with the hyper evolution in Voyager. I I rewatched it last year and I, it wasn't that atrocious. I mean, there is much worse TV out there. Yeah, I I don't mind that episode. I I, I don't think yeah. it's necessarily an outstanding episode. There's nothing particularly bad about it either. Yeah, um, the science also, was atrocious, but still, it's oh, like of course, yeah. it's it's a Star Trek show. Of course, it is. Yeah, but I'm also <laughs> a Voyager apologist 
through and through. It is my favorite of all the Trek series. Yeah, I think it was the first one I really got into, too, so I'm a little bit biased. Conversely, I think a lot of people who made fun of that were also a little bit biased in the other direction. Because Janeway. But that's like a whole different show. I have future, probably future episodes, too. We can talk about that kind of stuff in there. Because it very much applies to game dev. I don't know where I stand on on that just like i it was definitely the first show that i definitely watched like steadily but it was not the first show i was into because that was definitely um next generation but i was younger when i with next generation was on and i don't have enough memory to be sure how often i watched it but i was definitely already a fan yeah. from that and the movies before i watched voyager so it's not like yeah. that was just nostalgia i just like it nope yeah has good moments all right, so we've been chatting for a bit. Oh, wow, we're like half, over half an hour in. We haven't gotten to the topic. So I guess yeah, we yeah. mentioned today's topic. So the agenda in our schedule was, plan topic was tools we use and why, and tools we don't use and why. Listen, quick overview on that as relevant to our immediate projects. So I guess I can take the lead on this one, at least after I hydrate first. Sure, I'd be uh, interested to hear what you're building things in. Yep. So I've been building Athotari in RenPy. I actually prototyped it. The very earliest super simple prototype was an experiment in Pico 8. But I got way too ambitious. I was writing Ruby code to generate Lisp, um, to generate Lua code to run in Pico 8. And I very quickly ran out of the system limitations. But it inspired me. Did a proper prototype in RenPy. I've been building it in that ever since. Now, I did try experiment with rebuilding it in from the ground up with Unity using the Fungus engine for visual novels. And it was a very educational experience. It definitely made it easier to do some things, especially in the UI. But it was proving troublesome enough to implement, to get all the content in there, actual content uh, into the game, to the engine, and if having to fight with Unity, which is notoriously bothersome to work with, that I was finding it kind of productive ultimately. I decided better just to lean in on limitations of RenPy, some of which are very deliberate. Maybe later take a stab at fixing some stuff I was having issues with, but otherwise just focus on game content more than anything else. I'm a little bit fortunate in that it being a little more older style, being a little more retro, less fancy, is an aesthetic advantage for a retro game. So I get away with like not being super shiny 3D or not being any fancier and whatnot. But it was just much more important focus on getting the game out there, all the content complete, and publishable with that. And while I might not be able to directly port it to, say, Switch, I would still be able to get it on the Android store, the iOS store, Mac, PC, Linux, whatnot. I, and I, I know that, that Python has difficulty with distribution for games, but RenPy yeah. here has sort of its own tooling around that, so you kind of yeah. got that, that bit figured out for you. Yeah, I mean, I've already got it running on Android super easy. We actually... I have some cheap Android tablets I demo it on because it was so simple to do that. 
So uh, between yeah, so, Pico 8 and RenPy and Unity, did you have experience with any of those before building this game? Uh, Pico 8, no. That was my excuse to learn Pico 8. RenPy, yes. I had played around with it before. Uh, I think for game jam, one, two, or three game jams. Unity, that was my excuse to uh, learn Unity for the first time. So some of that was also lag experience with the tooling. But... Unity wasn't that unfamiliar to me. It was actually, I've used, it was ages ago, but I used similar tools like Micromedia Director, or back when it was Micromedia Director, and other stuff. So it wasn't entirely new paradigm. This particular tool was unfamiliar. Yeah. So good learning experience. If I were to do a new game, especially one with a non-retro feel, I would probably start in uh, Unity and try to figure that out and find this out and whatnot. But since I already have a lot of game already in RenPy, I'm going to avoid a Duke Nukem Forever and do I actually actually get to where I can actually publish it with what I've got. Yeah, it's um, sticking with, with a tool to be able to finish is a, a surprisingly difficult skill of its own. Yeah. I mean, I come from a software development background, and it's always tempting to rewrite everything from scratch. That's it. Well, on that point, quick diversion. It probably is a good idea to rewrite your to totally rewrite your first attempt at some code from scratch. It's off, the problem is that way too often people will take the very first run of some application code, build it all the way out to full functionality, and then try to rewrite it. If they were to write out a prototype. Ditch it, rewrite the prototype based on that knowledge and add a couple more important functionality pieces and maybe then rewrite it with a little more functionality. That'd be fine. It's the trying to rewrite everything from scratch with all the functionality and old support and whatnot that tends to kill rewrites versus trying to do a rewrite at all. That's my I've been rant. trying to be more proactive about encouraging people to delete code. It's yeah, yeah. a very healthy thing to do, and it's um, the sol solving problems is a separate thing from actually writing the code to implement that solution, yeah. and it's important to separate those, which I think deleting helps. I was actually um, Goodness, yes. reading up. I was reading up after a podcast this past week on a really exciting, crazy idea called. Um, uh, what was it called? Um, test commit revert. And uh, the idea is that you have a test runner that if your test fails, it immediately reverts the last commit. So <laughs> like, it just immediately deletes any code that doesn't work the first time. And the idea being that for one thing, you write smaller things, but also that you learn not to get attached to the code and that you think in ways that you're, you know, your the solutions in your mind are still written and you're learning from that code and you're not getting attached to it. I really yeah. love the idea. It's fun. Like, I don't know if it's a good idea to do like day to day, but it's a fun experiment. I love to try it sometime. Yeah. Let's say like delete when it fail the test fails or when the test passes. Uh, delete when the test fails. So if you're a CI, if a, a, a CI build that fails immediately undoes the last commit, so that you always yeah, CI being passing. continuous integration. Yeah. That's funny because when you first mentioned that, my Brain jumped directly to delete on first successful run because that's the code people are going to be most attached to, code that succeeds. Because it's mm, easy to throw away code that doesn't work. Yeah. 
that's interesting. So it exceeds and stuff I, we get so attached yeah. to. And I, I wouldn't yeah. mind trying that sometimes too. Like I have thought of, um, there's times when I've actually intentionally built something and deleted a working version to try to do a better, do it better. Like, okay, I, I, I did a really bad version, figuring out all the problems. Now I'm going to do the real pass. I don't always, I don't make that a rule, but I have done it a few times when it seemed like it makes sense. And I would love to see one experiment I'd love to try sometime is have two developers implement the same feature and yeah. compare the two and be attached to the Thank solution and not the code. So that's actually is the norm in context, like critical of a uh, critical systems. I know NASA makes a point of having multiple groups do implement the same functionality or even put together three different chips. And the example they have is like three different chips all doing the same stuff, but sourced from different companies, different groups, whatnot. And they vote, three different chips vote. And the winning outcome, whichever one gets two out of three or three out of three, is forwarded along as a quote-unquote most likely answer. So that way, even if there is some small variance, the other two or some error somewhere, the other two implementations will hopefully check it. I have heard about the redundant systems like that. Um, yeah. like I know that there was four flight systems on Apollo that did that kind of checking, but I didn't know anything about coming from different vendors. That's an interesting addition to the, yeah. to the angle. Yeah, because the thing is, if it's the same group doing all three, you're going to have the same fundamental errors, same unconscious errors, same gaps of information uh, slipping into all three implementations. It's actually kind of weird when we think about it that more groups don't have multiple people working on the same code. It looks wasteful, but it's no more wasteful than uh, running experiments and expecting repeatability and then rerunning them to make sure the results are repeatable. Uh, that that's really interesting. Yeah. I, I've there's no way I would find some way to get this approved, but now that I'm a tester by trade and I'm you know, trying to like do this black box testing of things that I haven't written. One of the things I have thought of is like, what if I got two teams to build the same API and ran my test suite against both? Yeah, you know, they really should be the norm. It's... To be honest. Hmm. Or, or it could be the other way around too. If two different people wrote a test suite for the um, for the same yeah. product and see, ideally both. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and like yeah. combinations. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's amazing there, how. Uh, yeah, yeah. We could, I could go on a length about this if it was, especially if it was on topic. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. I, I do like the idea actually of maybe exploring this in a game, how we came to context. Because what do you do when? How do you double check stuff when you're the dev, and you're the QA? It's not easy, but I guess we can go on to like the tools you use and why. Because I noticed you use a tool that I don't use. And that tool is... Unity, which Unity. you did use. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, I yeah. Actually, like I chose to not use, yeah. But And I actually came to Unity from a long trail of half-forgotten and dead engines that I've left behind me written between Ooh. Python and JavaScript and eventually getting into to Unity. 
I really like writing game engines, but that gets in the way of finishing or even starting sometimes any actual games. And that's pretty much been oh, the highlight it. of my game dev hobby for 15 years, maybe 20, uh, which is Ooh. really depressing to think about the, the time scale of that. Although I also really yeah. enjoy building many of them. So um, I got into Python because I was, uh, at the time, <laughs> building a C++ engine. And then I thought, oh, I'm going to rewrite this on, uh, on Pygame. And so I threw my game out that I was working on in C++ and started rewriting in Pygame and then accidentally became a web developer um, through <laughs> the Python space. And, nice. uh, but I kept working on, on games in Python on the side too and, and on game engines on top of Pygame. And then as HTML5 gaming started to become a thing, like even like really early on, as soon as the first experiments for Canvas 2D was available, I was writing game engines in it and not finishing the games that I built on it because new stuff would come out and I'd, I'd build on top of that. And at the time, nothing was available, like 3JS or anything. But I, I was so excited for the potential of this that I wouldn't finish the things I was working on. I just I wanted to be a part of that space. Um, yeah. And I was kind of um, encouraged by other people I saw in the space. Um, I, I talked about the podcast Lost Decade um, a few times, and their big thing at the time was... Like their, their podcast talking about their game also talked a lot about building it as an HTML5 engine because they actually built it on top of um, not Electron, but the thing that comes before it. So it's sort of like a, a browserless version of Chrome that acts as a shell for a web app. And that's actually yeah. what their game engine is built on top of. So like, I got encouraged by seeing, yeah. yeah. So I got encouraged by seeing, like, oh, yeah, people are actually doing this in the wild. And so I would keep working on this. But what I eventually realized is that being able to do all this engine hacking is too exciting for me. I can't do it in Unity. That is actually the feature of Unity that I get the most out of, that I just use it. Because there's nothing but to build, yeah. Yeah, so I I, I do really get a lot out of it for the distribution story, though. One of the things that always frustrated me with Python is, which I still, um, my, my day job is Python, and I love Python, but distribution is hard. Yeah. And it hasn't gotten better. Um, so basically, Unity just sort of is a base where I can work in and I can take the things I make and know that I can put it places. That by itself yeah. is huge. Um, because that was, that would a lot for a lot of times be, I mean, even back to like whenever I wrote QBasic games, that would be a problem. Okay, I wrote this game. How do I want to share it with a friend? I got to tell them how to use QBasic just to open it and run it. Uh, that's, that was always so that's like frustrated me for a long time just being able to share the stuff i make um no, I, so now I i've been doing well. yeah I, i've been doing unity now for a few years um i'm definitely no expert but i've been doing it for long enough that i know what i'm doing and i can find my way around i still am not getting to the point where i waste my time building pulling and engine stuff and I actually build games. So I actually have nice. solved that problem. I've, I've finished several games and I've, uh, you know, small things and I've continued to work in it without getting lost and distracted. So I think that it's working. Yeah. It's like sometimes you need the very fine woodworking tools and sometimes you need the bandsaw that does everything for you. Yeah. And, and I also, that's kind of right. I, I like working in something that's very different from work too. You know, 
as a web yeah. developer, I was knee deep in Python and JavaScript. Those were my back end and my front end. So the fact that my game dev is completely different is a nice change of pace and a context switch at the end of the day. That helps because um, I have to have that separation now. It used to be that I would go home yeah. and keep working on stuff that I work on all day. I didn't burn out. I just kept pouring energy into everything all the time. I would build web apps and Python libraries and JavaScript tools for fun, even though it was my day job. And so doing the game stuff in those texts as well wasn't a problem. And now that kind of is. I, I need, if I'm going to keep coding at home, I need it to be something a little refreshing that is separate from my work. Yeah, I think the neuroscience would back you up in that too. Yeah, I might have to look at some articles on that, but I think that's the direction that the evidence is pointing is that energy and focus and other such things enjoyment this is as much about the novelty and the context switching like getting out of a otherwise expended context much as anything else and and even though it's separate i also do think that um it gives me something i can take back to work even if that's not the intent i do see it so like having different ways of solving problems in different languages and different tool sets gives me something i can take back just like i bring yeah ways i, I bring types of solutions from the Python and JavaScript worlds into my C sharp code and exactly. you know, are definitely influenced. And I then bring it back whenever I leave C sharp and go back to work the next day. Yeah. I mean, I write better JavaScript for having written so much Ruby and vice versa. I, um, yeah. I was actually playing with the idea uh, just the other day of a book of how of bad ports between programming languages. The idea would be, it'd be like a collection of, you know, Java written in, in Python and other examples of code that was ported and why it was a bad idea. Just not as a way of saying this was bad code because it was like Java, but as a, this was, all languages have different ways of expressing things. And here's, here's all the things that these different languages can express well for in that language. Yeah. Like, so often we talk about how to do something in other language not often enough to examine why you sh should choose another language over another one or say like explain why you're setting yourself up for a headache by trying to do X and Y. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that's a lot of discussion of tools for now. I think um, we're coming up on the fifth. We're almost 50 minutes now. Yeah. We got a, yeah, a long discussion about about everything. Yeah, all things. So uh, I feel like we're good to go for now. Yeah. Uh, what are you uh, looking forward to for the next week? Oh, uh, getting started in my new job, which will be interesting because we mostly be onboarding, starting a morning habit of writing more content. Hopefully it'll be fun. And stick it to it. I've got... Those two, just the morning habit and the new job, will be plenty on my plate for a spell, especially because I still need to do taxes. And I'm just going to purposefully limit it to that. Worry about that. Um, read some new manga I've got and go from there. All right. Sounds like a good week ahead of you. I hope the rest of the new job goes well as the first day has. Oh, yeah. Uh, how about you? 
Well, uh, I still got all this uh, free time with the week off, so uh, I planted a flower garden this today, and I'm going to try to get something else done physically around the house every day to feel productive and build up some energy. Um, but I'm also, of course, going to use a lot of this time for uh, character drawing uh, and working on a third arcade game. Um, and I think that if I can put those together, I'll have something to show. Um, so I'm excited about that. And um, I'm going to also try to get some writing time in. And uh, you mentioned Pomodoro earlier, which is something a tool that I've used a yeah. few times, but I don't do it consistently. So I think I'm going to try to um, work on a habit with that to get some of both for my drawing time and writing time that I need to try to put in. Um, I'm hoping to do Napa Remo next month. So I want to get that nice. writing habit in this week so that I am not starting cold turkey uh, can you yeah. start cold turkey or only stop cold turkey? I think it works both ways. So It's stop cold turkey because I think someone was listening, analyzing the origin of that phrase. I think it came from people who stop certain drugs cold and that getting chills and goosebumps and whatnot and various um, post-addiction elements that make them resemble a cold turkey, skinned and everything, or uh, plucked and everything. I know that's really not, or just. But the origin is one thing. If you if people know what you mean, though, like if I can use the phrase yeah. in that way, then that's then I'm gonna. Yeah, so. yeah start cold turkey would be like uh, getting an ice bath. Yeah, like you know, some people that's yeah. how they wake up. So yeah, I think yeah. that works. All right, so that's my week is um, trying to build up yes. momentum and productivity and habit, using the week to re-energize, yeah. which is for me by getting stuff done. Yeah. Yeah. What was the uh, nano thing you mentioned? Uh, I say it was it was drawing, writing, and stuff around the house. Okay. Trying yeah. to get some, trying to catch well, up then, on like you know physical accomplishments and not just ones on a glowing screen. I suggest something coming up next month or. Uh, Napo Remo. Um, that I. Oh, was that? It's a uh, Nano Remo, but for poetry. Oh, nice. So it's a poem every day. Nice. Sweet. Which um, it's Maybe not something I'm super explain. excited about, but it's more like um, it would just give me a, an excuse to have, be motivated to write every day, a target. So. Yeah. Sounds good to me. All right. So it's been a pleasure uh, casting with you, Calvin. All right. Looking forward to chatting next week. All right. So yeah. see you all on same uh, podcast time, same podcast channel here on so that side quest completed. Da, 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 da. Insert extra music here. <laughs>